This is Creepy and Geeky. Welcome. I'm your host, Robert, and today's guests are Janet Hetherington and Ron Sutton. They are an Ottawa-based writing and artist team who have done numerous works in the comic book field, and in particular to today's discussion, Janet wrote and Ron did the art for stories in the Claypool Comics Elvira series. Welcome to the show, Janet and Ron. Hi. Hello. Happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on. You you would you would hit me up after I had made a tweet about uh, getting somebody on to talk about the Elvira movies, and uh, you uh, before I had a chance to um, before you actually told me about that you did uh, some of the comic books. I actually looked you up real quick because I saw you did comic books, and so I was like, okay, let me go check out what their what their uh, their their details are. And so I saw oh they did you know quite a lot of work with the Elvira comics. Yeah. So I was just like. Well, yes, let's have you on. <laughs> so, um, so you guys did, um, I, I wasn't even aware until, uh, really recently that there were, there was a series, uh, done through Claypool comics. Um, I've, I've started to get, um, I've been following the, uh, Elvira comics, the dynamite's been doing, and they recently did a, uh, they're doing a series of hardcover, omni hardcover and softcover. Uh, omnibus trades of the right. of that Claypool comic book series, right. and so I've I picked up uh, the first two volumes for myself, and uh, uh, I'm excited to uh, check those out. But it looks like uh, you guys aren't in those first two volumes. I guess you guys came in much later into the run. Yeah, not much later. Uh, uh, I should be in the next one. I started with issue okay. number fifty-seven, so that should be definitely okay. in the next one. And then I was with the comic right up until. Uh, the very last issue, which the last page of the last issue, which was number 166. So. Which I wrote. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and after Ron um, started illustrating the Elvira series, um, I got a chance to speak to the editor, Richard Howell, through Ron. And uh, I was able to pitch in some stories. So um, I ended up writing mostly backup a set first because the way that the Elvira comic was set up, was that they had a lead story and then they had a backup for every every right. issue, and uh, so I started off on backups and uh, eventually um, I did get some leads. I I often collaborated with Ron, which was great. Um, right. However, however, it was up to Richard Richard Howell, the editor. He often uh, he would assign the story, so sometimes he gave my work to another artist. So I got to actually work with a great number of artists. I was really excited about that. That's awesome. So how did you guys get involved in that uh, in that series? Well, it was me, actually, because uh, I was I was just mailing out samples at that point. I really, you know, wasn't a huge Elvira fan as such. You know, I knew who she was, but I, this was like right. uh, 1996, 1997, I guess, when I first contacted Richard. And uh, I was just sending out samples and I'd done an awful lot of female lesbian vampire characters, one after the next. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and then Elvira came along and rescued me from a career of you know female <laughs> lesbian vampires. Um, 
But I, it was funny because I sent Richard samples and he wrote me back. He made the mistake of writing me back and saying, <laughs> I'm sorry, we don't have any work for you. You should look for a bigger company. And of course, I took that, you know, as encouragement to start, you know, pummeling him with more samples. <laughs> right. Um, then he finally gave me some work. So, uh, so then it was pretty continuous after that. I did almost 50 different stories. I think it was 40 wow. stories I drew over a nine year period. So. And then, as Jan said, after about three years, um, yeah. we were actually at the Chiller Horror Convention in New Jersey, and Richard lived in a reasonably close. Uh, so we took a cab to his home and went out for lunch, and uh, that's when Janet started talking about maybe writing some stuff. So Yeah, and it, it was a lot of fun writing those stories because um, as a female writer, I really appreciate um, how El, um, Cassandra Peterson, you know, Elvira right. um, has control of her own persona. Yes. And yeah, she's very flirty. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, but at the same time, um, it's, it's, it's a real, I found she was very assertive, you know, in her fem right. femininity. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, I was able to do a lot of parodies uh, of different um movies i'm a huge huge uh, science fiction horror movie geek and uh so so i got to and of course elvira is the mistress of the dark and um uh, the hostess <laughs> with the mostess uh for movie macabre right. so i got to really play on those things and use that movie knowledge in the stories which was a lot of fun all right yeah i'm looking forward to uh, uh getting a chance to read those uh, uh down the road with the uh, the uh, dynamite uh, reprints so that should you. be a lot of fun yeah, um, they were a lot of fun, especially in the respect that, I mean, for the most part, those comics were all self-contained stories. Right. Um, you know, and Elvira, despite the fact showing a lot of cleavage and a lot of leg, I mean, it wasn't, it was, you know, yeah. it, was, it wasn't for adults only, you know, it was kids. Right. Um, and there were humorous <laughs> stories, too. So it had a lot going for it, you know. Right. Yeah, that's what I've not, that's what I've always appreciated about Elvira uh, is that, you know, um, you know, I, I'm you know nudity and stuff isn't a big deal for me or whatever right. but the fact that she has always been more of i'm going to be flirty and i'm going to push that line right. but mm -hmm. i'm going to keep it to the this side of the line mm -hmm. keep it pg-13 rather than tipping over into that r-rated right. yeah. side of things so right. you know and it makes it it makes it more fun in a way too because not only her but uh you guys who who you know did the comics and everybody else you have to find a way to you know, make it fun and interesting by doing that without tipping over that line, you know? Yes. And so I appreciate that, that, that makes you more uh, creative in a way. So in finding yes. ways to, to be that, you know, to be of course sexual, but to keep it on that, 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 you know, PG 13 side of things. So, right. Right. Yeah. And I and I think that actually I know you want to move in to talk about the the uh, Mistress of the Dark movie and the <laughs> Elvira's Haunted Hills, but um, I think <laughs> that's absolutely correct for those movies as well. And right, yeah. I found it very interesting because we did a little uh, rewatch. We took the opportunity yes. to watch them again before our chat, and uh, and it was I found it really interesting. Cassandra Peterson did have a hand in writing the scripts for those. So obviously right. she had a really strong vision for what she wanted her character to be. And, uh, and, and I, I was laughing at some of those jokes. I mean, they, you know, yeah. did push the line. They did push the line. Yeah. 
Uh, but oh my gosh, I mean, she really played it to the hilt, you know, and, and that and that was the fun part of it. Actually, I was yeah. surprised rewatching the films because I haven't seen them in a long time now. And uh, the first one, what surprised me about the first one was actually the number of double entendres. And she was, <laughs> uh, you, know, you said, you know, she was pushing the line, but not crossing over. But I was actually surprised at how she sort of was crossing over the line in a lot of places. <laughs> I was really surprised at the number of people that actually grab her by the breasts during the oh, film. Yeah. Uh, it happens on at least three different occasions. But was that yeah. was that the first one or Haunted the first Hills? one? The first one, yeah. Oh, okay. And uh, and I mean, there was a lot of lines that sort of struck me. Was uh, I mean, at one point you'll remember she's walking by a movie marquee and one of the letters falls yeah. off, hits hits her on the head. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the dialogue was, he says to her, "How's your head?" And she says, "I haven't had any complaints so far." Right. You know. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, they're, they're sort of. You know, Sometimes she's not. Her. She's not, I guess she's not technically over the line. She's just walking yeah. right on the line. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so did you guys ever have much contact with uh, Cassandra Peterson during uh, your guys' tenure on the comic book? Well, it, not not directly in the comic book. The, the, the circumstances of how the comic book was done was she saw oversaw everything. So right. it right. would start out, Janet would write a springboard, which was just a one paragraph idea of what the story would be. Um, and Cassandra would have to approve that. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And then after the script was written, I, I guess I guess she didn't approve it at that stage. But I guess yeah. uh, I guess after the, the script was written, and pages were penciled and inked and lettered. She would see it all before it went to print. And generally, she wouldn't come back and say change this and change that. She would actually, uh, if she had a problem with anything, she would just sort of you know metaphysically wag her finger and say don't do that in the future kind of thing you know right yeah uh, you know rather than slow down production of making changes on stuff um but we, but we actually did uh so i mean the, the richard howell the editor was kind of in between us and right. Cassandra. um but we have met her many many times i mean uh, okay yeah probably probably six or seven different times in different cities and uh the, the best one was at the montreal comic-con one year uh they actually they had the room with all the artists and the dealers, and then they had a room with all the celebrities. So they actually moved us into the room with the celebrities and put our table butted right up against hers all weekend. Nice. So we were sitting and she, by her. And all she weekend. was in full costume. Yeah. So she oh, was yeah. full. She was absolutely fabulous. She was so kind to all the uh, all the fans that came up. She yeah. was lovely to us too. Mm -hmm. um, but my God, you know, people love her so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. And yeah, I, so, I, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say even more so now, you know, I mean, her she's had a real yeah. spike in popularity since her autobiographies come out, too. Oh, yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I, I've been a fan of hers um, since since, you know, the 80s um, right. when I was a, I guess, young teenagers when I discovered her right, right. around the time Mistress of the Dark came out. Right. Okay. right. Um, and uh, so I never got to I never watched movie macabre. Um, right. So I, I, I saw her on uh, Mistress of the Dark, became a fan of her. And I, you know, just loved the, the, uh, I've always been a real big fan of horror comedies. Um, that's, that's my bread and butter really. And so uh, I, so her, you know, goofing around and doing that with the movies um, and it's spe specifically even Mistress of the Dark being a funny horror movie is, you know, was right up my alley. And it has been ever right. since. And, uh, but I definitely saw that, you know, her, 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 her 
name, not name recognition, but definitely her pop culture um, sense of self being out there in the world kind of dimmed for a while. Um, right. Especially, yeah. you know, maybe in the, you know, around the time that the comic, the Claypool comic was happening, um, you know, it wasn't as, it wasn't as bright as it was. Um, right. But since I would say, what, like maybe 2015, 2016, right around mm-hmm. there, she seemed to be really getting bigger, especially because um, right. of her um, uh, Funko Pops and stuff. That seemed right. to really put her yeah. back into the mainstream. Right. Um, right. And she's been bigger than ever, I feel like, even bigger mm-hmm. than she was in the 80s. And, oh, for sure. you know, and like you said, even more so since the uh, autobiography came out last year, right. that, um, you know, and and I and I find it uh, interesting too is that since the autobiography, she's done a lot more as you know herself as Cassandra right. Peterson yes. than as Elvira. You know, she's right. still going to shows and still, you know, you know, being oh Elvira, but always as Cassandra. She's not really dressing up in the in in the whole outfit anymore. She's not really doing uh, pictures in that anymore. She does on occasion, I've seen, but mm-hmm. for the most part, she's really embracing uh, just being Cassandra, which I which I think is great. You know, I, I love her as Elvira, but I think that it's really great that she's getting to finally embrace herself fully um, rather than having to just hide behind Elvira all the time. Right. Well, as, as I've always said, though, it's sort of funny because, I mean, I know it takes her a long time to get into that outfit. Yeah. And I know it's I know it's really hot and uncomfortable for her to wear for long periods. <clears throat> and I understand why people want to come to a convention and see Elvira, meet Elvira, yeah. they want to meet Cassandra Peterson as such. Uh, but as I've always sort of pointed out, it's like, you know, when Peter Mayhew was alive, nobody expected yeah. him to show up at the convention in his <laughs> right. outfit. Nobody ever expected William Shatner to show up in his Star Trek outfit, you know. Oh man, no. Uh, but yeah. but everybody expects Cassandra to be in the Elvira outfit, yeah. you know. Yeah, I actually I I got to meet her a few years ago uh, briefly. It was at a convention, so I mean, it was definitely the very short convention experience of of of, of getting pictures with her. Uh, but I did get a picture with her in her outfit. Right. And uh, and then later on the next day, I got pictures with her uh, just as Cassandra in her at her table, and uh, right. I got a uh, an art print sign that uh, I had um, gotten. So it's uh you know it was a it was for me like a and, and of course I'm never really starstruck uh, with people, but <laughs> you know for her it was one of those things. I'm a huge Elvira fan. I've got like art <laughs> and stuff all over my walls, so it's right, like right. Uh, it's 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 meeting her was just one of those moments where it was just like, uh, I don't know what to say that won't come off sounding really freaking dumb. So, um, so yeah, but, uh, but it was, it was great. I, I, I appreciated, uh, um, you know, getting to meet her and, uh, getting to, you know, get a couple of pictures with her and, you know, sure. having that, having that very brief moment with her, which is great. Sure. And she was nothing we, we but have, friendly. We have the pictures too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we treasure them as well. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I like pulling them out every time it's her birthday. I'm always yeah. like, look, here's me with her. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Um, so I also saw, um, in, uh, your information, Ron, that you had some experience on the uh, Savage Dragon cartoon as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a that is one of my all time. Uh, it's like top four comic books of my mine of all time. So uh, I, I I will admit I've never seen the cartoon though. So, but <laughs> uh, how did that come about? Um, it was actually uh, I think it was the USA Network that did it. 
and they were sort of farming it out to various studios. So actually part of it came to Ottawa and it was a, a an animation company here in Ottawa. And it was so funny because they called me up and they said, would you be interested in working on this animated cartoon called Savage Dragon? And I was actually reading the comic back then, uh, you know, and this is going back to, I don't remember when, it's like 20 years ago or more than that. I oh, mean. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, they called up and said, Do, would you be interested in working on Savage Dragon? And I, it didn't click. I sort of thought, oh, okay, it's a cartoon about dragons. Sure, I'll, I'll work on that. <laughs> no, it wasn't until like 20 minutes into the conversation, I kind of went, oh, Savage Dragon. Yeah, okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah. So That's it was awesome. really funny, though, because, uh, yeah, it was, it, that would be, uh, yeah, actually middle middle 90s, come to think of it, because uh, yeah. um, they gave me an awful lot of she-dragon stuff to draw. And, oh, right. Yeah. And as I always like to say, you know, back then, I mean, my drawings of women really looked like men with boobs and long hair, frankly. <laughs> uh, you know, so I've come a long way. Um, but... When I worked on Savage Dragon, they gave me tons and tons of She-Dragon stuff to draw. So suddenly my drawings of women got really good, really fast. There you go. And that's when all the comic book, small comic book companies that wanted female lesbian vampires came <laughs> into the picture. That's the, they all saw my drawings of women and went, oh, you know, can you draw this? <laughs> I've seen your, I, I I did look up your artwork of the Elvira stuff because I was just like, okay, let's see how good or bad his artwork was. Yeah. And uh, I was actually very impressed. I, 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 I like, I'm, I'm really enjoyed your Elvira work. So uh, yeah, I, I. I, like I said, that's part of the reason why I want to, uh, it's part of the reason why I want to uh, hope, hope the next reprint will have that stuff in it. So that'd be very yeah. cool. Yeah. It should, it should be some of my stuff in the next one. Well, that's cool that uh, uh, Eric Larson's uh, She Dragon helped you uh, uh, yes. make that yes. next step to uh, to Elvira. <laughs> it's funny though that that comic. I mean, when Image Comics first started, I mean, I was sort of blown away because I'd never heard of any of those guys, Todd McFarlane or or Eric Larson oh, yeah. or Jim Lee. I'd never heard of any of them because they're not the kind of comics I would buy. Right. And they were doing that uh, the the digital color they were kind of the first guys doing yeah. it on really good quality paper and i was just kind of blown away with by what image was doing uh, right. but certainly i thought after a year or two uh, or, or three uh that savage dragon was you know far ahead the the very best of the books oh, yeah. you know it was it was funny and it was you know it was, it was a good comic it's the only one i still read of, of yeah. and i was i was big because like that was my era um, right. when I got in, when I got heavy into comic books, it was, those were, those were like my guys it was McFarlane and Jim Lee. Right. And, um, and the irony though, the irony is, is that I did not like Eric Larson's artwork at the time oh, because right. it was so different because he mm -hmm. followed McFarlane on spider on amazing Spider-Man and then on the uh, right. other Spider-Man book. And so I was just like, his art is so different. I don't like it. I liked McFarlane's art. <laughs> and so. His his book when he went over to Image when he first did Savage Dragon I didn't pick it up I it oh. was like one of the few things I didn't pick up and uh, later on I got like this weird little uh, brown mystery bag and it had the uh, uh, Savage Dragon uh, trade paperback that reprinted the, uh, the miniseries and so I grabbed that and I was like okay I'll check this out and I was like oh wow this is really good and so yeah. then I started getting the comic book from that point on and it just became has become a huge favorite of mine and uh i still love it i i got it i have a um a uh a, a sketch uh from eric larson that i got a few years oh, ago at a con as well of uh malcolm dragon so yeah. 
as I was very, very happy to uh, to get that and have it nicely on yeah. my wall now. <laughs> as, I, as I say, I mean, I, I was completely 100% unfamiliar with any of those guys. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the, the printing quality and the color quality, you know, sort of blew me away. But I also was fascinated by the fact that even though I hadn't heard of any of these guys, somehow I realized that these were the top guys at Marvel that had all walked away to start their own company. And I thought, wow, this is really neat artists running their own company. Yeah. Of course, it kind of, it kind of morphed after a few years, yeah. it's, you know, it, that's not what it is anymore, but, uh, right. but it was, I thought it was a very exciting time going back and looking at most of the books now, excluding Eric Larson, Savage Dragon, most of that stuff, I kind of, you know, <laughs> don't, don't yeah, look like much, you know? Yeah. It's but very it's much of its time. time. Yeah. It's very nineties. Uh, yeah, Eric, sure. Eric, Eric's work with Savage Dragon just seems to be, um, at timeless in a way like i mean definitely has some 90s uh, uh things to it but it, right. it's it kind of transcends that because he was more focused on creating a world and really focusing on telling stories that he'd been actually telling since he was a kid you know he'd been working on variations of the dragon since he was a right. kid so that was awesome to see him finally be able to pull all this in and you know tell the story that he wanted to tell and it's great that he's still telling it i i, I love the comic book even to this day hmm. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. All right. Well, let's jump right into the movies. Uh, we will sure. go ahead and start with Mistress of the Dark, the, the very first one. Um, I find it interesting, too, because, you know, not only does Elvira, she the way that she did movie macabre, there's a lot that goes into all of this. So she movie macabre started when she was 30 which is very interesting, you know, as, as a, as a actress, you know, you're already as a woman in Hollywood and stuff, your, your opportunities dry up uh, after your twenties and for her to get something like this, that, you know, she was able to turn into through a lot of weird circumstances. She was, she's able to actually, she owns Elvira completely outright. All of that stuff is completely hers. Um, you know, which was great, you know, whoever her lawyers and management were that made those deals and got that stuff for her were awesome, you know, right. so it's great. N- number one, for a woman to have that kind of power over her own identity and to, you know, parlay that into everything that she's done. Uh, you know, like, like we said before, it's like a multimedia empire now. Um, yeah, she's got things, she's got her hand in everything. Yeah, even people that really don't know her from having seen her films or whatever, yeah. you know, are aware who she is because of Halloween costumes and calendars, right. you know, and pocketbooks and, you know, and, and soft parodies drinks. And everything. Yeah, and parodies yeah. and you know, just, you know, the merchandising she's done is just astounding, you know. Well, and that and that's and that plays into something that I've been I've been uh, uh, talking to somebody about recently, too, is that our conception of what Halloween used to be. Like I grew up in the eighties and Halloween was a kid's thing. It really right. wasn't, you know, uh, as big thing by the time the eighties came around, we were starting to get a lot of those uh, pop culture icons as, uh, uh, as, uh, as costumes, but right. it still was a kid's holiday um, over the course of, I would say the eighties and the nineties, it started to morph into not just a kid's holiday, but an adult's holiday. And then into a more global thing than uh anything else because i've seen people on twitter mention recently that they didn't really celebrate halloween in other countries there's they don't have that that they don't have these celebrations 
Um, but I think that Elvira played a really important role in bringing that to uh, the adult world in a way because she did a series of um, Coors commercials, um, you know, talking about, you know, being, you know, drinking alcohol during uh, Halloween and having parties and stuff. And so I think that started adults at that time saying, oh, you know what, let's let's start having Halloween parties. We can have these fun, you know, goofy parties. We can get in costumes and and just drink and have fun. And, you know, so it's interesting to see that, like, I, I feel like she had a real big impact on that through those commercials and through her presence that she brought Halloween even more into the mainstream and more into adult uh, consciousness, uh, something that adults could do, you know, something that, you know, as a kid you loved, you know, and then you could continue that into your adulthood. Yeah. And, and um, I think, I think you're, you're right. And <clears throat> in some ways um, the first movie uh, Elvira mistress of the dark um, sort of um, brings that more, brings that into the light, into, into light, because uh, I mean, it, in some ways that is an origin story right? Yeah. For yeah. Elvira. And uh, I mean, you know, it was always funny. We knew she was a horror hostess. She introduced these movies. She had a quick wit and she would make fun of them. But this sort of brought her into being a real, and I don't even say supernatural, but, you know, a character with a with power, right? I mean, right. Um, I, I found it really, really interesting. Um, she also, it was also very much of the, a fish out of water story and yeah. a, uh, a story about, you know, really, you know, having faith in yourself and, and, and a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, sentiment in, in the same way as Flashdance and, um, right. and some of those other movies of the time where you had young people who were sort of fighting against the norms and, you know, wanting to be themselves and dress and be the way they want to be. And, and she was just sort of living and embodying that <clears throat> from the beginning of the movie, yeah. you know, you know, um, and, and it was really, it was interesting because I mean, it, it, it really zipped along. I, I, I really did oh, yeah. enjoy it. And, um, you know, the, you see her in the macabre mobile and she's just sort of tooting <laughs> along and, and, and there's, and she's stopping, of course, she's getting all these, you know, leers and looks from, from the men and then all the women are, right. like, Oh my God, is she going to steal my guy type of thing? And I'm looking <laughs> at the guys and I'm thinking, you know, you, do you really want him? But <laughs> that is right. I, I thought, I mean, the fact that she is uh, standing out so much in in this, when she ends up in a small town environment, you know, and she's basically empowering the young people in that town right. to be themselves as well. I mean, that was really a key message in that movie, yeah. you know, and she wasn't afraid to stand up for herself either. So, yeah. It's funny, too. I think she's almost a, a different character in that film as opposed to the, the second film, Haunted Hills. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, I was reading something and she was saying that she had based her character in that first film on her teenage self, you know. So, so she's kind of like, you know, uh, smart ass and wisecracking all the time and kind of snarky and eye rolling right. and that sort of thing, you know. And she's she's actually much funnier and more endearing in that that first film, 
And it's right. funny I was saying before about the, you know, the double entendres and, you know, some of them being a little questionable. Um, I remember at one point uh, when she's fixing up the house and she's got all these, you know, young teenage yeah. boys come along and she's bent over. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, she says to one of the boys, she says, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, just grab a tool and just start banging, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's funny, too, because, uh, you know, I, sh- I know she was friends with Vincent Price and she wanted him to be in that film. And apparently he turned it down after he read the script because he felt it was a little too risque. So, right. That's kind of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I yeah, it's no going back to what you said, Janet, too, about like, you know, I think this was Elvira has always been Cassandra Peterson's like Elvira has always been about. Um, finding acceptance, I think, you yes. know, because Elvira is, you know, Elvira has always been, and this is what's great about Elvira too, is that she's a character that doesn't take uh, any guff from men or anybody else. Um, right. She she knows who she is as a person. Um, she knows, yes, she's flirty, she's sexual, she's got her boobs out and everything, but it's that's no excuse for people treating her as a sexual object or as lesser than what she is. And that's always been great, a a great core aspect of Elvira as a character and what she's always, she's always been about empowerment, uh, not just for herself, but for anybody else. And that's what comes across really well in mistress of the dark is that she's just trying to one, she's just trying to, you know, get out of that town, but meanwhile, trying to empower the, the the kids and go, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to put up with this. You don't have to be treated this way. And, you know, and and she's doing that with everybody as she goes along. And you see at the end of the movie, when the townspeople accept her, that, you know, she's made a good mark on people. Uh, and, and it's more about being open and accepting rather than uh, putting down and trying to keep things to this very puritanical uh, society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which was great because, you know, during the 80s, this was a this was a big deal because that was happening in the 80s. Uh, Reagan era, you know, politics were always about repression and um, just keeping everybody down and supposedly under these puritanical uh, ideals and stuff. And we had the satanic panic and just so much that goes into everything that, you know, it was nice to see. And, I mean, you know, um, Mistress of the Dark came out in 88. So it was towards the end part of the eighties. Um, but you know, that movie plus a lot of movies, especially horror movies themselves were always pushing against that, um, that nature of uh, uh, the, the puritanical society and you know repression and, and all of that. So it was nice to see her in that movie pushing against that, but also still, again, like we said, she's pushing right at that line. Maybe yeah. tips over it a little bit here and there, but you know, <laughs> But again, in a PG-13 way, it never got to R-rated. So it's, it's you know, it. I can see maybe where Vincent Price would have problems with it, um, you know, being that he was probably more, you know, of that older time period, uh, right. that older mentality. Um, but I think that overall, I think that the movie does a really good job. And it's interesting, too, because the movie didn't do well upon release. Um, it got kind of buried. Uh, the New World, uh, the the studio that was putting it out, went bankrupt right around the time, and it just right. got like a very bad release. 
and uh, it found a life on home video, which is always great. Mm-hmm. So, well, that prevented her from actually making another movie for a long time. For a long when, time, uh, yeah. yeah. For new, when New World went out of business, it was all held up in the courts over who had ownership to what, because some people owned uh, the video rights and some people owned the yep. TV rights and some people owned the theatrical rights and there was big infighting going on. And I know that uh, basically it was said to her that she could do anything she wanted to do except make another Elvira movie. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was told he could do anything he wanted to except make another Terminator movie. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that Crocodile Dundee guy was, uh, Paul Hogan was told he could yeah. he could make anything except another Crocodile Dundee movie. Yeah. And that was held up for, I don't know, it was like 10 years or 15 oh, yeah. years. And I mean, finally... Finally, when, you know, there was another Terminator film and another Crocodile Dundee movie, I mean, every, an Elvira film came out, everybody was kind of like standing around going, you know, well, the, the iron is cold at this point. Why are, you know, yeah. most people didn't know that that was, that was a problem or that was an issue. Right. You know? So, you know, well, and that goes into that point, that period of time where her cachet as the queen of right. Halloween, yeah. the mistress yeah. of the dark right. had cooled for a lot of people. Right. So she yeah. just wasn't as like, like, and that's what I find interesting too. Now, like, I'm really surprised because I know she's got um, scripts for at least another movie. I think a sequel to Mistress of the Dark uh, right. that she's yeah. tried to push over the last few years and still is getting no traction. And mm. I do not understand it because I'm, I'm I'm surprised that somebody like Netflix isn't ponying up some money yeah. for this. You know, even for streaming, you know, it's it's. I think that this would be one of those things where you would get a lot of, a lot of eyeballs on it at this point, right, especially right, right. you know for her. Uh, especially after the autobiography came out and it, right, and it, right, hit, right. it hit hit so hard, uh, so it's 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 just so baffling to to see something like that just not well, get the traction that yet. it should. You know, it may be coming yet. I mean, she's probably you know yeah. carefully playing her cards. I mean, yeah, one, definitely. One thing for sure about her is she's always been a very smart businesswoman. That's very smart. Yes, yeah. She's and that's what's great about having such control over her identity yeah. and 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 character and stuff is that Absolutely. you know she's been able to keep that um keep that lockdown so much right so, yeah um the I, I found something funny uh, too that uh, in the trivia of this movie uh, you find out that Brad Pitt actually had uh, uh, had uh, auditioned that. for one of the roles of the teenagers but right. she wow. found him so attractive. <laughs> that she would she knew that she couldn't uh, <laughs> she felt like the character of Elvira would be too distracted too attracted to Brad Pitt to go for Bob so <laughs> oh, really well it's yeah. funny too because I know that uh Paul Rubens who was a member of the Groundlings with yes. her uh he was supposed to be in the film as well yeah. And she had already been, I think she was a biker chick in, uh, in, in uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Big Adventure, yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but then, um, but then when she was actually filming the Elvira, the first Elvira film, he was busy filming another something else and he was, was doing the sequel. Yeah. Yeah, I was doing the sequel. So, yeah. Yeah. They've been, uh, they've been huge friends since, uh, the Groundlings, uh, right. her, uh, him. Uh, she was really good friends with Phil Hartman. Right. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of dedicated to Hartman. Yeah. yeah 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 um yeah it's 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 interesting to see you know those little connections uh one of her the one of the guys who uh, uh co-wrote the movie uh mistress dark with her uh john paragon right. uh he had a lot of work in the uh, uh Wee's uh playhouse oh yes uh, right. stuff and he actually played jombie uh the genie. that's right that's right 
Yeah. Interesting. So it's a, yeah. So there's a lot of like cross connection with them in the ground lanes and stuff. And a lot of people, she did pull in, um, like Edie McClurg was part of the ground lanes. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, okay. you know, she, she was very much a, you know, Hey, I made it big. I'm going to pull you guys up too, you know, and, you know, I, I and even in Haunted Hills, uh, um, yeah. she, she did that with a few other people as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, going back to what you said too about haunted hills uh and playing two different characters in a way uh, i agree with you that the character the elvira character in haunted hills is very much a different character than she plays in mistress of the dark and very much a different version of her than she plays normally as well she's harder she's a little bit meaner um and uh you know and i think that plays into what she's going for in this one where where mistress of the dark was a story of elvira that right. uh haunted hills is a is an ode to uh corman and vincent price movies Absolutely. that uh, she loved <laughs> and so she's playing yeah. a character the character yes. of elvira in this movie so she's bringing that elviraness into this story that and i think that's why i like the movie it doesn't work as well for me no, as mistress no, of the dark I does i agree uh but but it's still a fun romp. It's still fun. Yeah. It's it's funny to watch uh, to have her do the jokes that are uh, anachronistic uh, that don't fit in with the times. Uh, the the Doctor Bradley Bradley <laughs> yes. mentions uh, the the oh the the in, the village people have been talking about stuff, and she's like, oh, right. no yeah. one listens to the village people anymore. Really? So <laughs> so I love those little jokes and and, and everything in there. Uh, it's fun to see Richard O'Brien from uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show right. in, in there as one of the major characters. Uh, which he wasn't originally supposed to be in it as well. They had um, uh, they had, had somebody else, uh, but then they couldn't do it. Uh, now I'm completely blanking on who it was supposed to be. <laughs> but uh, but you know, getting Richard Bryan was a was was a really good really good idea as well, especially to you know hopefully bring in some of those Rocky uh, Rocky uh, Rocky, Rocky Horror Picture fans. <laughs> yes, yeah, the first the first film. I mean, it's quite laugh out loud, funny in different places. Yes. You know, the second film isn't. You know, there's a few a few yeah. things that are good, but as you say, I mean, she's she's sort of playing a different character, and it's very right. much a straight ahead sort of uh, pastiche of of the Roger Corman, yeah. Edgar Allan Poe, uh, you know, films. Yeah. And it, it's kind of funny because I mean, it's just kind of straight ahead. It's uh, it's not as good as those films. Uh, but the sets yeah. are really good. Oh, the sets, sets are really, really good, good, you know, and the props <laughs> yeah. and everything else, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's kind of flat in a lot of respects too, you know. And it's 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 a better movie if you're if you're familiar with those Corman films. If you haven't yes. seen the Corman films, I mean, I think you'd kind of be going, "What's going on here?" You know. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to quite understand the jokes as much. I think that if you under if you've watched those Corman movies, that. those jokes will play a lot better for you because you're starting to see it's like any kind of spoof like that like if if you've seen the movies that it's spoofing you're going to enjoy it a lot more and i'll admit i haven't seen a lot of the roger corman um you uh edgar Allan poe stuff so you know i still i still catch quite a bit of it because i know i know just enough but it's but yeah you do miss a little bit if you're not familiar with that i think that 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 makes it yeah, I think it makes it a little less accessible to people too. Whereas Mistress of the Dark is completely accessible. It's right. even though it's set yes. in the '80s yes. and has some very '80s jokes to it, mm-hmm. um, there is a lot of it that still is uh, applicable to today. And so I think it's a much more fun, much more accessible movie for audiences. 
Yeah, the the whole end of the film, I mean, is basically the the same end as the fall of House of Usher, you know, <laughs> and the pit and the pendulum, and yeah, yeah. There's kind of all kinds of little little uh, visual references to things like the Tomb of Ligia and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. it really is. It's a real love letter to those Corman films. Oh, yeah. well, well, even the opening was sort of like that multicolored lava stuff yeah. that's going up. Yeah, the credits. I mean, that yeah. is just so. You know, right on, spot on with that uh, those yeah. films that they were. Uh, yeah, and, and it's interesting because, in a way, um, Elvira's Haunted Hills is is a little bit like the way we approach the Elvira comic stories. I mean, we really did pay homage to right. those movies or those uh, types of um, films that she liked to like to make fun of in movie macabre. Right. Um, but obviously she loves, she loves these particular genres. So I think right. it was sort of being, yeah, who was it that said it was a love letter? It, I think yeah. that's absolutely what it what yeah. they were going for. Uh, I do find it interesting that in both movies, what is the objective of, of, uh, of Elvira, the Elvira character? Uh, yeah. It's to advance her showbiz career. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first movie, she's trying to get to Vegas. And in the second movie, she's trying to get to Paris. <laughs> and, and, and then she's got all these obstacles along the way. Right. <laughs> I was going to point out one thing I thought was odd about the second film. I mean, the first film, she finally does make it to, to, to Vegas, Vegas and yeah. gets to do yeah. her, you know, her tassel twirling scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently she learned when she was 14 years old. Was yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, the second one, she's trying to get to, to Paris to be, you know, have this can-can re review but what I thought it was interesting is about three quarters of the way into the movie. I mean, not through the whole film, she's she keeps mentioning, "I've got to get to Paris." I've got to get to Paris. Right. But three quarters of the way in the movie, it just kind of dropped that thread entirely. <laughs> yeah. The movie ends, and there's no mention of her going to Paris and doing the show. You know, it's just kind of withered away. I, you know. I think that's probably because their budget for this second movie was only like a million dollars. Right. And so they had to stretch that as, as much as they could. And probably by the end, they were like, uh, yeah, we don't have any money for the Paris review now. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I think she was Wait. partly responsible for the funding of the film. Wasn't she involved? Oh, I think she was completely responsible for it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the first movie, the actual, the Vegas showcase part at the yeah. end was not actually, she wanted it, but NBC who was fronting a lot of the right. money oh, for that's that right. was yeah. like, was like, well, let's see how the rest of the movie goes first before we add that in. And once they watch it, they're like, okay, we'll let you have that part too. Right, right. So, I mean, we could have very well not had that at the end of Mistress of the Dark as well. So it's an uh, I do find it interesting too, that she's gone back, like in both movies, she's, she's trying to go back to in her, what in her own life was the beginning of her career. Yes. Uh, right. Like, you know, doing dancing with Vegas and, 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 and going to Europe and dancing there as well. Yeah, so. it's sort of funny that last scene, though, because I mean, it's like it's as amusing as it is to see her do this, you know, the the tassel twirling thing. It yeah. really feels stuck on, you know. It's like here's the <laughs> it, whole it thing. does, yeah. Here's the scene of her, you know, doing doing the tassel twirling, you know. Yeah, as, as fun as it is, you know. <laughs> well, and I think you know, and, and and to what you said, like you know, in the in the second movie, she's talking about it throughout the whole movie, and yeah. it never comes to fruition. Right. So it kind of feels weird that it's not part of it. Even though yeah. it's tacked onto the first one, at least you got some resolution to that. Right. You know, at least there was a, you know, yeah. so, but no, I'll admit it does feel very tacked on, uh, you know, because the movie ends 
you know, in the town and you're kind of like, okay, that's, you know, done and over with. Yeah. You know? And then, okay, now we'll go do the, the Vegas sequence, right, you know, right, right. so, but, and that, and that is also what's funny and where I, where I was talking about how it feels very eighties at times. That's one of the moments where it feels very eighties is because she busts into a rap during the, uh, oh, yeah, during the song right. in the Vegas yes, sequence. Yes. And I'm like, like, it's not a bad rap, but it's just so <laughs> indicative of the late eighties. So yeah. <laughs> Every well, movie had well, every movie music sequence had to have a rap. Well, we can treat it like the shawarma scene, okay? I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, you have the movie with a resolution, and then you got this little yeah. extra bonus at the end. Exactly. So Elvira. <laughs> yeah, very much. Yeah, but, and, you know, and and that's what's fun about Elvira too is like you know she definitely does not take herself seriously. Oh, um, yeah. In 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 either of these two movies, you know, you just see that ultimately she's just having fun um and 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 i love that that to, you know sure she didn't get a lot of money for the second movie and it it feels a little weird and everything but you can tell she's having fun with it and mm-hmm. and 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 you know that's what i think is more important to anything else is that it's a movie that is fun to watch because you can tell everybody in it is having fun yeah mm-hmm. i i'm a huge fan and supporter of of in a way this is an indie film right this is a passion project oh yeah absolutely for the, and uh so i say kudos i mean you wanted uh, you know cassandra peterson elvira wanted to bring her back to the screen and they did it i mean that's yeah. huge and, oh, yeah. and so more power to as you were saying more power to you power in your identity and 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 yeah. to do the things that you love yeah, and it's it's been great too cuz uh you know when I when when she started coming back up um yeah. in, in you know in you know the mid 20 teens or whatever when she started mm-hmm. getting you know back out there um and I was a Funko collector at the time so that's <laughs> where I kind of got back into her was okay. you know my kids were finally older so I was able to like start collecting things and that's what I started collecting was uh, Funko Pops for a while uh, I don't do them anymore but you know that's what led me back into her as well and since then like i i, I bought dvd copies of the the movies but since mm-hmm. then they made really good blu-rays uh arrow put oh, out happy. the uh, okay. mistress of the dark yeah uh, uh arrow uh, arrow films or arrow video has put out um a very good um blu-ray of mistress of the dark with lots of extras and, and lots oh. of goodies and then uh scream factory put out a um a, an excellent uh uh, blu-ray of uh haunted hills as well nice. so, yeah so i i of course picked both of those up and uh they, they <laughs> what i watched and uh yeah they they so much fun uh to 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 just put on you know and and and, and get to talk about them so, <laughs> for sure for sure so. But yeah, and it's great to see, like I said, you know, since she's made that resurgence and everything, it's great to see her come out even bigger. Uh, like we said before, just everything is just hitting on all cylinders for her right now. And I think, you know, she's taking great advantage of that. Uh, is there anything specific you guys wanted to say about the movies uh, that we haven't already talked about? <laughs> well, Ron, Ron um, we were looking, we were checking, we were checking the... Um, the end credits because yes. Ron actually has a has a little bit of a Elvira, a Mistress of the Dark, uh, movie connection. Well, oh, yeah? just that uh, yeah, <laughs> it's actually uh, 
the very first comic convention I ever went to was in 1970. I went to Detroit and I went for the very specific reason of uh, Bernie Wrightson was going to be there. And even okay. in 1970, he was my favorite artist. And I just had to, yeah. had to go meet him. I just had to go meet him. You know, I had to go meet him and, and become, become his friend, you know, and that's, that's <laughs> right. And literally two years later, I was sleeping on his living room couch for several months, you know, so, um, and we remained friends our entire lives. Um, but That's anyway, awesome. uh, but what was interesting too, was that weekend, I don't remember where we met exactly, but I met a young, young uh, black artist named David Russell. Uh, and we got talking and he was the same age as I was, we were what, uh, 1970, I was like 17 years old, we were both 17 years old. He was from California. And we got yakking away and he, he knew Jack Kirby and he was showing me, you know, all his wow. Kirby inspired artwork, you know, and I was showing him all my rights and inspired artwork. <laughs> and we became friends and we've, again, we've been lifelong friends, although he actually has moved from, uh, from California to Australia now. Um, oh, wow. He's in the movie storyboard business. And I mean, he's worked on some really, oh. really big films. He's worked on the first Batman movie, the first Star Wars movie, um, uh, uh, Moulin Rouge, Rouge. Uh, you know, tons of really big films. But he actually storyboarded the 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 first film, uh, Elvira's Mistress of the Dark. Oh wow! So, so that was sort of funny to find out, you know. So, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great connection. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw you had uh, had uh, um, uh, in the uh, information that Janet sent. Uh, uh, you had uh, had connection with Bernie Wrightson. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Had, had done some work <laughs> with him. So yeah, 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 that's awesome. I love his artwork. Yeah, we were good friends for a long time. And when he lived in Saugerties, New York, which is upstate New York near Kingston, and so I basically I was uh, eight, 18 years old, um, moved out of my parents' place for the very first time. So not only moved out of my parents' place, I moved out of the country. Um, <laughs> moved, in, moved in with the Wrightson's place for several months, and then uh, got a place with writer Steve Skates just down the road. But um, also Jeff Jones. Uh, the painter uh, Jeffrey Catholic yeah. Jones uh, lived about 10 miles away. And so I used to spend a lot of time with Jeff as well because I just right. adored his artwork as well. So, and I yeah. would go into New York City all the time and I would work periodically at Neil Adams Continuity Studios and stuff like that. And I was uh, ghosting pencils and inks on some of Howard Chaikin's work. And so it was a, it was a real interesting time, actually. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, but that's very Bernie cool. Bernie and I have remained friends his, his entire life. So I used to, I didn't get to see him very often afterwards. Uh, but I mean, we'd right. always talk on the phone and stuff. So, but you can see, that's but awesome. you can, you can see, you know, Ron obviously huge, huge horror influence. And oh, yeah. When you, when you run across something like Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, <laughs> whether, you know, in her early comics form, which, you know, right. Uh, she's gone through several different licenses, right? I mean, um, right. there was, I, was it Marvel that did the adaptation of the right. movie, I think? Right. Yeah. yeah, Marvel did an adaptation of the movie. Then and there was then a short-lived DC, DC comic series. And it was a, like a House of Mystery. House uh, of Mystery, was the, yeah. She was the horror hostess. And it right. was, the stories were really not about her, right? right. They were just, no, right. she was exactly. introducing the traditional sort of um, anthology type stories. Um, right. And so, um, you know, so obviously when a movie, like when you're a horror fan and you love comics and you see a pop culture movie come out, like Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, you're going to automatically be drawn to it, you know? Oh yeah. Because, it, because it, it's going to really 
um, appeal to your <laughs> young fanish geeky self like me yeah. uh, and uh, and i was wonderful seeing a woman in that kind absolutely. of absolutely yeah you know and she wasn't yeah. she wasn't like a stalker she wasn't like a you know like a freddy krueger or anything like that she was a right. she was a horror icon or she created a horror absolutely icon that was as you were kept saying pg um yeah. but at the same time um even beyond that, just this really self-assured um, right. persona. Yeah. And, but, yeah. you know, I, I just, you know, but you just love being drawn into all these little uh, macabre um, uh, things that were, you know, in the movie, you know, I mean, I mean, the fact that she's tied up in, as a stake and she's being treated like a witch and all this stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it's sort of like you, it's something you, you wanted to see the way that it sort of was, worked into the script i thought was really clever you know right. you know because yeah. it just kept moving along and moving along and uh yeah. Yeah, it was no i mean it was really a lot of fun and and i think that's yeah. really what the objective was yeah yeah all yeah that, i think mr yeah. the go ahead go ahead all that the janet's saying is true and the other thing that's sort of struck by is i mean obviously she's a, a real sex symbol too yeah. i mean obviously yeah uh, you know, I mean, she was showing a lot of cleavage and a lot of leg and the, all the double entendres. And it's interesting to me because, I mean, she's now, what, 70 or 71 years old? 71, yeah. 71, yeah. And, I mean, she's still, you know, very, very still. attractive. I'm sure she's, yeah. she must be extremely careful in her diet. And I'm sure she must work out constantly yeah. to stay looking like that because, you know, as I said to Janet, I mean, if you're a sex symbol, you can't waddle in at 350 <laughs> pounds. Yeah. Well, maybe you can yeah. oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but i mean she's times are changing it's all right yeah yeah uh, but i mean it's interesting because i mean she's she's maintained that that image you know all these yeah years, you know yeah no definitely i mean that's that's what's interesting about and like i said before she didn't become elvira till she was 30 you know, right. that's when movie right. macabre started was when she was 30 so to to you know be you know she'd already you know struggled through her 20s and you know, made it past that point and created something that went from the the la the next 40 years uh right. in in pop culture and that stood the test of time because there's not a lot that will stand the test of time like that especially a character a, a, a woman character like that that you know that is strong and self-assured and is is somebody that doesn't take any any guff from anybody um right but is also feminine and uh sexual in her own right and that's what's great about that character is that she embodies so much um in that that you know that's what helped you know make it this far in as she has well, you know, she actually has created a real character, too, which is interesting yeah. because, I mean, she's basically a horror hostess, you know, she's, yeah. uh, you know, and, and, you know, you think about all the horror hosts for various TV shows and things that have, you know, come by in the, the X number of decades in the past, and who can right. even remember their names, you know, aside from a right. couple of them, you know. Right. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's what she did uh, is it like demands respect and admiration yeah, 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 yeah. um you know even even if you don't like her even if you don't like what she represents um and that's what, and and that's another thing that's a you know really great about her is that she made a real connection uh with the gay community right. and yeah. has always championed that and uh 
that has always been a cornerstone of who she is, uh, even before she came out. Like, right. and that's what's that's why, like, you know, anybody who's surprised um, at her coming out like that uh, just hasn't been paying attention to who she is as a person um, yes. and who, you know, Elvira is as a character. Like, regardless, even if she had never come out, even if she right. you know, was completely 100% straight, her what her identity as Elvira was tied into that uh, drag culture and, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and gay culture in a lot of ways that, you know, it, it was always there. And I, I really think that that, you know, being able to push that boundary and, and, and helping to uh, legitimize that uh, for people has helped a lot as well. And uh, I really her appreciate. hairstyle and, you know, and the way she dresses with the, you know, the cleavage and all the rest of it. I mean, it, it is yeah. almost drag queenish looking. Yeah. I mean, it's Very so much. over the top, you know, which is yeah. Yeah. part of, you know, makes her unique and, you know, and it's part of the appeal, you know, of that character. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> all right. Um, so do you uh, uh, want to plug anything and tell people where they can find you? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have a website. It's called www.best-destiny.com. And uh, there I basically, it, it's really just a, a website that um, talks about where Ron and I will be appearing because we do a lot of comic conventions. Um, and I actually have a independent uh, retro science fiction 80s style movie called Galaxy Warriors that I wrote that's been heading, hitting the festival circuit. Okay. It's doing very well. It's been winning awards. Um, director Brett Kelly, it's, it's a Canadian feature. I'm a Canadian uh, uh, storyteller and writer. Um, uh, Canadian director Brett Kelly and his wife Anne-Marie uh, produced the film. And um, mm. I'm very, very proud of it. So keep your eye out. And so hopefully it will be uh, coming to other venues. Uh, once it's finished the festival run, I'm pretty sure that Brett's going to, I mean, I think he's already got distribution for it okay. it's been doing really really well it's really silly awesome. it's really fun i mean really <laughs> in the spirit of the elvira movies it's it's just it's right. very much these very sexy kick-ass women that are escaping from a prison planet i mean you could put elvira in there actually it would fit really well um and it's called galaxy warriors it's it's awesome. really a lot of fun um and so that's what i've been focusing on these days i also um i mentioned uh, eternal romance a comic book that i created in, in 1997 i actually did a, a short uh, animated version um of the a story called the mummy's boy from from Alterna Romance, which is you can, if you want to look it up on on YouTube, you, you can find it there. Okay. Um, and if you want to check out other stuff I'm doing, just I, I I I just blows me away. But I have an IMDb page, so <laughs> I have I have movies on IMDb that you can that you can look up. So yeah, so you can check that out. And I'm gonna turn it over to Ron. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, I've been drawing comics for and getting them published for 50 years now. In fact, uh, a major achievement for me was earlier this year. I was actually uh, my name was added to the Joe Schuster's uh, uh, Joe Schuster Awards uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, so that was a pretty big deal. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and I've been doing all sorts of comics for the longest time. I, I do pretty much everything except horror, except uh, except superhero comics. And I do, okay. you know, horror and romance and adventure. And what I've been doing for the past five years, pretty much, is I've been doing a, a weekly comic strip for Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated. Um, first of all, in 150 weeks, um, I adapted the Burroughs no 1915 novel, uh, The Man-Eater, which is about a lion that's brought back from the United States, uh, brought to the United States from Africa, <clears throat> and is sold into a circus, and uh, it's, it's quite an adventure story. There's also a, a whole sideline going on about uh, members of a family uh, fighting over an inheritance and uh, hidden stuff in Africa. So we finished that, and what I've been drawing for the last three years now, two and a half years, um, is I'm doing Carson of Venus, which I've been wanting to do ever since 1972. <laughs> uh, so I finally got finally got to draw it. Uh, I'm at uh, just 103 episodes right now. I just finished penciling the 103rd one uh, yesterday. Um, yeah. And so uh, that stuff, if you go to the Edgar Rice Burroughs website, you can find that they have a whole selection of brand new uh saturday morning newspaper style comics there's like seven to 15 of them every week posted brand new awesome. ones Tar tarzan and john carter mars and carson of venus obviously and pellucidar and others um so that's that's one of the main thing and uh you can see my artwork uh at www.ronsutton.com and that's ron with two n's r-o-n-n and okay. you can also go to facebook uh, my facebook page i try to post brand new artwork every single day so as i work on okay. the carson strips i post the roughs i post the finished pencils and i post the uh, the finished inks so all right yeah that's awesome Thanks. and uh janet you're on twitter um i am on twitter met, so yeah so i'm at best destiny on twitter uh okay. ron has a twitter account but I put him there and he doesn't use it. So <laughs> I saw he has like literally like one tweet. <laughs> if you if you uh, if you want to reach Ron through Twitter, it comes through me. Right. But, right. uh, honestly, uh, yeah, if you go to, uh, you know, you can reach Ron through his website, too, or or, okay. uh, or Facebook. Through his and, Facebook, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, yeah, and this has just been such a pleasure. We just yeah, love I appreciate having you guys comics. both on. Yeah, <laughs> this has been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or at creepyandgeeky.com. You can follow the podcast on social media at creepyandgeeky on both Twitter and Instagram. If you'd like to follow me, I'm GeekThulu on Twitter and Geek.Thulu on Instagram. You can support the podcast by ordering teas and more from our Tea Public page. All of the links are in the show notes. Finally, don't forget, stay creepy.